You're watching the IT Pro TV podcast. It's week 11, and we've got another great collection of IT-related news ahead for you. We're going to be talking about AMD's Meltdown. We'll see a little bit about how to exit the Windows Insider program. We're going to talk about the new Raspberry Pi 3B Plus edition. That's quite the mouthful there. And we're going to talk about prison tattoos, because that's just some of the great news that we bring to you right here at the IT Pro TV podcast, starting now. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Don Pizzette, not normally the host, but this week, uh, Peter is out. He's, uh, you know, actually getting his toupee surgically implanted, so it'll be permanent. That'll be awesome. Uh, you know, an important procedure. We, we support him. Even and uh, and everything. Yeah, That's best awesome. uh Best wishes to him and his family as he goes through his trial. Uh, <laughs> but I do have a special guest in the studio here to help me, so I'm not alone and just talking to myself, which is sad. Uh, but but I normal. Mr. Daniel Lowry. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here, Don. Glad to be in the podcast. Always a good time. And, uh, you know, we ought to label this like the special Barry White edition because both of our voices are messed up because <laughs> outside, you know, we're in Gainesville, Florida. Normally it is yeah. the beautiful blue skies. It's the beautiful yellow skies right now. There yeah. is so much pollen out there that we are all... Uh, Anybody with a black car is like, why did I choose black? Because right now yeah. it looks green. <laughs> if, uh, if antihistamines were like a performance-enhancing drug, oh, we would yeah. all oh, be failed be for doping. Positive, <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> all right, well... Uh, we do have a collection of IT-related news that has occurred over the last week, and we're going to go through and you know talk see, about it. See what makes sense and what doesn't. Yeah. Some of it's actually pretty ridiculous this week. That <laughs> uh, you know, as IT news tends to be. So, uh, but some of it's good. Let's uh, let's kick off with one of the big leading stories here. We, we had two big, and I'm. I'm going to do a little different than Peter normally does. I'm going to front load the security stuff because uh -huh. it's depressing. And then <laughs> we'll, we'll have all the fun stuff. It's never afterwards. a good day when uh, you look at the, the security <laughs> landscape out there, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I need to start putting a limit, like only so yeah. much security stuff. But uh, uh, our first article we're going to talk about comes to us from the great folks over at ThreatPost. And it is Cyber Espionage Campaign Slingshot Targets Victims Via Routers. So the the actual campaign is called Slingshot, and it's being per perpetrated <laughs> against uh, against particular routers. And this one was kind of an interesting one because uh, the routers in question are ones that are running. And we had a little bit of debate over how yeah. you pronounce this because I said uh, Microtic, and uh, <laughs> which I love. Well, I thought it was awesome. I I thought it was Microtic or Micro or Microtic. Uh, oh, I didn't even think about yeah, going like French you, style on yeah. it. Yeah, well, because. In most foreign languages, the I's are kind of pronounced like E's. All right. And they, and they are a foreign to U.S., right? Mm -hmm. They're foreign to us. So uh, I would assume. I, I was talking to Adam Gordon about it. He said micro-tick. So I, probably I, I, I don't know which but way. Macrotic sounds so yeah. much like necrotic, like your, your <laughs> network's going to shrivel up and die. <laughs> it is the edge of your yeah, network. Yeah. It's slowly so, decaying. Yeah, it's uh, not getting enough blood flow. <laughs> well, if you're like us and you're U.S. bound, you might not be familiar with them. I, I've actually seen the, the name pop up numerous times over the last few years, uh, and Daniel is spot on that in overseas, or I guess what would be overseas to us, us, not necessarily yeah. to Europeans, for example, uh, these routers are fairly common. And 
one of the main reasons is that they they actually deploy this as a software image as well as hardware. And so you can actually have your own hardware and get the micro tick or micro tick or whatever. Uh, if you know how to pronounce that, throw it, yeah. throw it on my Twitter or something. Exactly. <laughs> figure that one out. But um, uh, you can get the software. So very similar to PFSense, which we, we right. know and love. Uh, I've actually downloaded and installed their router software once, probably like a year and a half ago. Um, it's commercial software. You pay for it. Uh, but it's not terribly expensive, so it's a good option, and it's very, very feature-rich. Well, apparently it's got some exploits, right. and for pay software, that's kind of frustrating. Like with, with PFSense, if uh, if there's some vulnerability in it, you're like, well, I got it for free. That's, <laughs> what can you ask? But uh, but for pay stuff, it, it does get a little frustrating. Uh, but this one is being taken advantage of, and um, the... Campaign so far, if you dig down in the article, um, Kaspersky Labs are the ones who actually found this, and ThreatPost is reporting on it. Uh, but they said they had located uh, at least 100 victims, 100 routers that had been compromised mostly in the Middle East and Africa, right? Uh, and that they span from 2012 all the way through February of 2018. So this is a compromise that that's been long term like from what i read this was actually uh, a part of the um, cia leaks that this was in there uh, as part of it in a, the certain version six point something or other uh but it's still being exploited even after the version that was released by the cia even though they say there was no known vulnerability something to that effect uh it's interesting that it's continuing to be um exploited and it's in the administration software specifically is where the problem lies from, from what i understand from what i've read Right, and, and and that would be like one of the worst places to have a vulnerability yeah. like that. Because if you can if you can gain some kind of entry into the administrative interfaces, then from there you, you've got control of the device. And Cisco just went through this like yeah. a week ago, yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> where their SSL VPN, whether you're using it or not, if the SSL VPN landing pages were available, you could exploit that, gain administrative access to the device itself. And once you had that, you you could effectively, I mean. Let's think about the types of attacks you could pull off here, right? At a minimum, let's say that I don't tamper with data at all. All of the internet traffic for that organization is passing through that router, so I can mirror it, monitor, you know, do uh, man-in-the-middle types of attacks if we really wanted to get creative. But at a minimum, we could totally surveil all the traffic that was passing through that device. That's a pretty bad thing to compromise, right? Yeah, especially if there's anything that's sensitive and unencrypted, right? That would be that would be a problem. Uh, like you said, man in the middle tax, that's always fun to start uh, rerouting things and saying, mm -hmm. well, we'll go here instead of here. And it really looks like the site you wanted, but it's really my phishing site. So make sure you log in when you get there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, one of my favorites is uh, you ever mess with DNS mask? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So DNS mask, you could fire that up on on one of these routers easily. Yeah. You can do it on PFSense easily. Uh, uh, I don't know if you can do it on Cisco ASAs. Maybe not. But with DNS mask, you can tell it, hey, if you see any DNS requests going across the network, intercept them and just change the results to this other address. Yep. Um, so you don't care what DNS server the clients are pointed at. DNS servers, it's not like they're doing authentication right. or encryption at all. <laughs> and you know the, the records might be digitally signed, but if you're intercepting, you can actually present a different signature. Uh, yep. You can completely override that type of traffic. So that, that's a bad one. Um, the fact that this one has been there so long puts it in that APT category, right? Yeah. The advanced persistent threat. And they're saying this is this looks state-sponsored level uh, kind of exploitation, right? I I saw that from this was reported on yeah. by a number of security companies. Every one of them said 
this looks state level, but none of them would call it the state. Right. And one of them, one of them said, actually, it might have been a threat post that said, uh, because the target was Middle East and Africa, that uh, you can infer which state it was. Right. And I thought, well, I actually can't yeah, infer I can't. There's, that a, there's a lot of states <laughs> out there that would be in that area, would be happy to have had this on yeah. their plate. So, And the Middle East and Africa are really, really big, yeah. right? I mean, Africa is, is huge. It's, it's got some land <laughs> so, to it. So, <laughs> it's um, a little square mileage going Yeah, that, that comment didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. But uh, Well, the fact uh, that the CIA had this in their, in their leaks kind of starts to probably push it into more. Not necessarily that they created it, but they knew about it for quite some time. And since it's just now really being understood by you and I, common folk that are in security or just in tech in general, that means that yeah. they probably knew about it from some friendly organization. Now, the, the scary part about this to me, and I, I just found the quote that I was looking for, yeah. um, that Kaspersky was kind of analyzing this. And they said that uh, uh, the method used to hack the routers in the first place remains unknown. They don't actually know how attackers got a foothold into mm -hmm. these routers in the first place. But once they're in, then they populate it out with all sorts of malware and other tools. Right. So what Kaspersky did is they identified the malware and other tools. They saw that right. compromise occurred. But they don't know how they got in there, which means you could be running the latest and greatest version and of— maybe still vulnerable. Potentially. Yeah. Until they can figure out how they got that foothold, who knows? Um, now— I, I'm not sure. You know, we'll have to see where this kind of goes. But if you're running one of these routers, it doesn't mean, hey, throw your router in the trash right. and go buy a new one. It means you need to monitor your routers more closely and so that you can get that um, – I always forget this one, Dan. What is it called? IOC or the initial oh, – yeah. uh, Indicator of compromise. Ah, there we go. Indicator of compromise. Yeah, So you've got to watch for that. If you see unusual activities, your log get flushed or you see yeah. – uh, you know, extra stream of traffic, increased bandwidth, that stuff you've got to watch for to see if it's been compromised. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder, because it, it specifically says it looks to be Middle East and Africa, um, which honestly would make me think that it was the U.S. that did it, which, you know, yeah, if it was it, in the CIA the toolkit least, or, yeah. or whatever, NSA toolkit, then it, it probably it's was us. Yeah. Um, and not, not saying that's okay. I'm saying... I'm just saying it's it, a it, fact it that it probably be true. was <laughs> us. So... <laughs> So, um, uh, and the fact that it didn't affect the U.S., I, I wonder if that's on purpose or if it's just because there's not many of these right. deployments like, in the U.S. We don't have a proliferation of MicroTik routers over here. I mean, mm -mm. this was really like the first I'd heard of them, to be honest with you, because we're primarily an HP, Dell, and Cisco, yeah. Juniper, that kind of stuff is what we see here in the States uh, the vast majority of the time. I had come across them a few years ago when I was looking for a replacement for PFSense. Mm. You know, just to see what else was out there, because sometimes... Sometimes you settle into a product, you get a little too comfy, yeah. and you don't realize that there's other products that might be better. That's true. Uh, so I always look for new things. I was looking for alternatives to PFSense, and um, I came across them and had tried it out. Uh, kind of let it sit for a few years, and we had some some of the viewers over at IT Pro TV were asking if we'd create training around uh, that software. Uh, we never quite got enough demand for it, mm -hmm. so we didn't do it. But uh, you know, at this point... Uh, it doesn't necessarily speak bad of the team over at, at Microtech because, uh, you know, they're just joining a long list of firewall vendors and router vendors like Cisco, like Fortinet, like Juniper that have all had significant compromises. Hell, the Juniper one where it was a hard-coded admin password, that one was worse. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, that's just lazy right there, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Fortinet's, uh, or actually it was Fortinet that had the hard-coded oh, user password. Nice. Juniper's was different. Um you know, each one of them have had compromises like these. So 
definitely always keep an eye out for that indicator of compromise. Yeah, it does seem like the longer you're in the game, the more likely it is that you're going to have some level of compromise. So it's just par for the course. And, you know, you do the best you can. You release patches. You fix things. And mm -hmm. you move on. And then new vulnerabilities are discovered. And you lather, rinse, repeat until you die. <laughs> there you go. The only thing that's true in life, right? Yeah. Death, taxes, and... Vulnerabilities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's move on to the other big hot topic of the week. Um, a month ago, we were having a hard time with the podcast because you couldn't find news that wasn't related to Spectre and Meltdown. It was like this great, boring patch of tech news. Yes. Um, so the interesting thing about Spectre and Meltdown was that they were primarily focused on Intel CPUs. And while Intel was trying to patch it, and you have all these different patches out there for Meltdown and Spectre, um, ultimately it's going to end up needing to be a hardware fix on the Intel side. So a number of cloud vendors said, hey, we're going to start doing research and looking at doing AMD processors instead. You know, AMD... Uh, well, they weren't, uh, they weren't vulnerable to one, uh, one of the Spectre or Meltdown, I can't remember right. which. And then it was only the uh, like less impactful version of the other right, as well. Yeah, so the Meltdown was what targeted the CPU right. and allowed leaking the memory, and then Spectre was what allowed you to kind of pick what was going to be leaked and take advantage nice. of it. Spectre targeted the operating system, and it worked on AMD, right. ARM, you know, Spectre worked everywhere. But Meltdown, that was that the was Intel good. side. Yeah. So a few of the cloud vendors said, hey, let's, let's research using alternate processors, and ARM isn't quite powerful enough yet, although you're starting to see some ARM servers get developed, uh, but some were looking at AMD. So this week, surprisingly, out of the blue, a company, a, a security company comes out, and they basically said, look, the company is an Israeli-based security company called CTS Labs, and there were a ton of articles. I picked the one from uh, Tom's Hardware because it seemed to be the least biased of, <laughs> of all of them. I don't normally go to Tom's Hardware for security news. I normally go there for, oddly enough, hardware news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but they had the least biased one. Um, but this, the security company, CTS Labs, they come out, and they say, not only have we found CPU vulnerabilities in AMD's Ryzen platform, which is all their, their new processors, uh, they said they found 13 13, whoops, <laughs> I'm trying to zoom in on this in some reasonable way for those of you that are, are watching instead of listening. Um, if you're listening, you're having a great experience. If you're watching, <laughs> you're, you're going into seizures right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but they found 13 critical security vulnerabilities that span four different classes of uh, CPU, and they even came up cool with names. slick names yeah. like Rise and Fall, Master Key, Fallout, and Chimera. Uh, this isn't like a, a metal band. <laughs> uh, it's like a, a lion with a multiple heads, right? Yeah, like a it's, deer it's head. It's also like um, there are real chimeras, and I think it's uh, a genetic thing. Oh, that's right. Where the humans people have, have the same genetic coding. Uh, some sort of twins that have this, or whatever. Or uh, one person, but with multiple DNA, depending on like where you oh, sample right, right, on right. their body. We could have two separate DNA. Yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Crazy stuff. Um, am I pronouncing <laughs> this one wrong? It is chimera. I think isn't it's chimera. It? Yeah. It's actually Chimera. <laughs> Chimera. That sounds like something you'd order at Taco Bell. I'll have the Chimera. Uh, anyhow, so so with this one, uh, I know I'm, I'm belittling this major security vulnerability, and, and, and you'll find out why in a moment, right? Because with Intel, it was a big deal, right? right? Like potentially if you had cloud servers deployed on shared hardware with other customers, other customers could leak your data. Well, with the last vulnerability, 
it was detected by several security researchers. And basically, they had or they gave Intel and the other vendors like Microsoft and Apple 200 days of notice, right? And oh, yeah, yeah. There was a big controversy because the register kind of unveiled the stuff a little early. They cut off a week or 10 days or something like that. But ultimately, it was a long window of time to fix it. Daniel, did you see what the window time was on this one? If I'm not mistaken, it was a whole 24-hour period before release. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so 24 th- hours. So this is where I picked up on this story, and I, I saw that Linus Torvalds was getting uh, getting a little, uh, you know how he does. He, he, he comes out Hang with on. I've, I've got his comment around condescension and, and uh, vulgarities. But uh, on one hand, he might have a point that you're unfairly uh, judging uh, the company AMD for this and maybe even trying to manipulate market. Saying that you're, you know, basically, oh well, now now I'm going to drive stock prices down and things of that nature because they have this huge vulnerability. And you only give them one day, and this isn't a fair assessment of it. And yeah, you've got POC that works and uh, and cool names for your your exploits, but does it actually affect the product? That's what we need to to figure out. So, Don's Alexa's going crazy. <laughs> Just throw it on the floor, Don. Hit it, hit it with something. <laughs> Oh, you as know what? Because it, it still goes. No, I, I thought my Alexa was going crazy. It's this news oh, it's article. The, it's the article. From, I'm, I'm it's sitting here article. pulling up. See, this is autoplay so videos are the bane of existence. Uh, um, Alexa's on the floor and shattered broken pieces. <laughs> I, I, I yanked the power plug out of it. Uh, so, so Linus came out. Yeah, right. Not happy. Not right? happy about and and I think there's like some justification behind it. Obviously, you know, he he has his way of delivering uh, things, which m- some people find questionable and <laughs> unfavorable and I can I can I can see that but he might have a he might have a point here like you gave him one day and who does this like realistically affect right now zero people most likely yeah it it's an interesting one yeah. um did you see the reason the company gave for only doing 24 hours of notice I don't think I did. So th- this was in an update. I don't even think I have an article. Well, actually, did Tom's Hardware update for it? Maybe they did. Maybe. Um, but they came out and they said, oh, no, they have an update from AMD, but that's it. Um, anyhow, the, the company that discovered this, they came out with an announcement. They said, hey, we only did 24 hours because we know that AMD can't fix this in the full uh, reasonable or responsible disclosure window. Oh, that's right. So, I did see that. Yeah. So, you know, if even we, if we gave you a year, you wouldn't have been able to fix this. That's so. what they said. So, screw it. We're just going to throw yeah. it out right now and yeah. and there we go. Um which you know, that's that's uh that's a pretty big assumption right it, there. It is. It is. Um now, the other challenge here is they they did 24 hours notice. Right. But they did not fully disclose all the details of the attack. And, and Linus Torvalds mentioned that yeah. in his uh, his tirade, uh, which is what's playing music in the background here. Uh, and so basically what he came out with was saying things like, uh, you know, when, when was the last time you saw a security advisory that was basically, if you replace the BIOS or the CPU microcode with an evil version, you might have a security problem, right? So he's saying, look, if that's what it takes to do this type of, of attack, Somebody already has physical access to all of your equipment and administrative level access as well, right? Yeah. And you've you've already like yeah. you're already screwed at that point, right? Uh, you you don't even need a CPU attack. Yeah. For I that. think someone like tweeted uh, after him saying, 
yeah, if I have physical access to your server, I can just pick it up and take it home. Am I a security expert now? Yeah. You know, that's, that's, like so many that's pretty funny stuff. It is, yeah, but it's true. Yep. So, um, so the ability to exploit this would be pretty hard. Now, uh, for a normal organization, we wouldn't worry about it too much. But let's say that you were a nation state. Let's, let's just yeah. play devil's advocate right. here, right? So, um, uh, who who doesn't get along right now? Let's say that you are uh, the Soviet Union okay. and the U.S. Right. And you've got a U.S. server manufacturer like HP. Right. And in the Soviet Union, you need a bunch of servers. And you order them from HP. Okay. Well, in theory, the U.S. government could yeah. intercept that hardware in shipping, right? And they could open the boxes, change out the BIOS circuitry so that it is an evil version, and then continue shipping it the rest of the way out of the Soviet Union. Now, if that story sounds far-fetched, you need to remember that the U.S. government has been caught doing that exact thing in the past. Have you ever seen those pictures? I don't think I have seen. Oh those my goodness, either. that yeah. was uh, it That's was part awesome. of one of the leaks that was out. Let me see if I can find this. Um, <laughs> it was uh, they were intercepting Cisco boxes uh, and they were taking routers and firewalls and actually putting the surveillance chips or logic or whatever right inside of the router. So you'd think you were unboxing this brand new Cisco right. device. Even shrink wrapping it back up and everything. Oh, the, the whole thing. They, um, they leave no stone unturned when it comes to the details. And so in, in one of the leaks, um, uh, here's the picture. So this is uh, this is this is old news. This is not news. This is uh, Ars Technica. They did an article. So this was May 14, 2014. So three years ago. Okay. Uh, photos of an NSA upgrade factory <laughs> show Cisco router getting an implant. And uh, and so here's people, uh, they've got a steamer. They're steaming off the security tape. Nice. And then, you know, supposedly this is the implant facility where they're implanting a device with uh, surveillance equipment. So when we talk about, like, what Linus is saying, that, hey, this is crazy and ridiculous and whatever, yes, for most of us it's crazy right. and ridiculous. But, but for a nation state with the power of the United States or, or equal... Yeah. Um, it's not so yeah. far-fetched. And I like to pick on the U.S. because I'm in the U.S., and that's True. one of our, our uh, freedoms that we have, at least right. for now. Um, <laughs> at least for now. <laughs> but any country is capable of doing this. And if you take somebody like AWS, right, Amazon, where they have data centers all over the world, it could be potentially like, you know, they just opened that new data center in France. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe the French government has done this. So now any cloud servers that you spin up there have that type of surveillance in there. So this attack is relevant. Yeah. I, I don't think we should just discard it, right? It, it actually does have a uh, uh, an attack plan here. But much like the Intel one, there's not a great way to fix it, which is what the CTS Labs is saying. is like the only way you can really fix it is to design new processors. Right. And I didn't have any hard data for this podcast, so I didn't grab the article, but Intel's already announced that in their next generation of CPUs, they're introducing partitions inside hmm. of the CPUs so that each core is isolated from the others. So they, they actually function as independent cores and they can't cross over. Wow. And that way, uh, like the L2 cache and, and so on isn't shared, yeah. which prevents the, the bleed over that is what's kind of spawning these attacks. AMD, I'm sure, will do the same. So in the future, we won't have to worry about this, but we've got, what, like an eight-year window? Yeah. Where that, when new CPUs come out, it, it's usually like a solid eight years before everybody's moved to it. And then... You're go you're moving from that point forward. There's still millions and millions of devices out there with the old hardware still on it that you could possibly compromise. Yeah. So yeah. until that stuff gets phased out, you're 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 still working with a, a compromisable arena. 
All right. Well, let's see. Let's continue our, our depression. We've got to just two more little security articles here to mention, then we can get on to happier things. Um, <laughs> the next one, I don't have a fancy news site to reference. I actually have the Samba uh, announcement email list here. Uh, there was a security patch released for Samba. If you are using Samba in your network, actually, let's back up on that a little bit. If you're not familiar with Samba, yeah. it is it's a, dance, a, a Latin dance. <laughs> <laughs> it is a uh, a service that you can run on any Linux or, or Unix server. Uh, you can run it on well Mac OS even. Uh, and what it does, is it allows you to share files and folders on the network with Microsoft systems. So if right. you've got uh, Microsoft Windows clients, they can connect to file shares on your uh, Linux server, for example. It's like a hacked version of SMB, right? They reverse-engineered SMB, right. the server message block protocol, and that's where the Samba name comes from. Well, the problem with reverse engineering is you have to think of all the little things that Microsoft did when they wrote SMB, and then you've got to recreate it yourself. And one of the things that SMB can do is handle password resets. And when you do a password reset with Windows, you send your, your user token that says you're logged in and you're authenticated and says, hey, this is who I am. And then you send a next message that says, hey, I'm resetting my password. And then you send what you want that new password to be, and you get confirmation back, right? That's kind of how that process of resetting a password goes. Well, it turns out that with um, Samba 4.7, 4.6, and 4.5, they were all affected, um, that you'd send that initial token that said, hey, here's who I am. And when you sent the second token or the second message to say, like, I want to change my password, you could specify whatever username you wanted. Not not just your username. You could specify anybody's that, username. That's a special thing, Don. <laughs> uh, also yeah. known as a mistake. <laughs> it, it's a mistake. It, it's a bug, yeah. right? And, and I, I guess, you know, one that maybe, uh, maybe you can understand, like, yeah. hey, all right, well, I already got user credentials on this token, so somebody has, has to be authenticated to get here. Right. Surely they wouldn't send the wrong name. That well, would be why crazy. Why would they do that? You know, that just seems insane. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah. Like any system, there's usually at least one default user account. And Daniel, can you think of a default user account that might be available on a Samba or SMB oh, system? Let me see here. Maybe administrator? I'm thinking administrator. Yeah. Yep. So you can craft a, a, a packet really easy in Wireshark or a million other tools right. and throw it on the network and say, I need to reset the administrator password. And you can just authenticate with like literally any user and then send the reset administrator password uh, and then set it to whatever you want. So they basically took the gate keys and hung them on the outside of the gate and said, whoever wants in, just as long that's, as you're a good user, you can use the keys. That's it. Yep. And and if you're doing uh, where it's basically a domain <laughs> controller, right? Because yeah. you can set up Samba to, to emulate a Windows domain controller. If you're doing that, now an attacker would have administrative access, not just on the DC, yeah. but on literally every computer joined to that domain and every server joined to that domain, which would not be good. No. Did it say how long this has been like a problem? I mean, it says versions, but... Um, uh, that, I don't know. It actually says here releases. in the CVE. So the, the CVE is uh, CVE-2018-1050. All versions of Samba from 4.0.0 onwards. Um, so 4.0, that, that's pretty old. That isn't seems it? like a while. Um, yeah. Hmm. I wonder if I can find that. I'll do some Google Kung Fu here. Um, but Samba, that, that has to be pretty old here. I got the release notes. Yeah. Holy granoli. December 11th, 2012. Oh man. So 2012 was a bad year. <laughs> it's apparently just so. It's everywhere. So for five <laughs> years now, uh, you've been able to do this. Now it was only recently discovered. Right. Right. 
and it did go through responsible disclosure. So it's already been patched. If you are running Samba, all you got to do is upgrade, upgrade to the newest version, uh, then you'll be taken care of. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, we have a number of security agencies out there that discover vulnerabilities like this and don't report them. So who knows if it's if it's already right. in the wild and being used. Like you said, it's it's been discovered by them now. Who knows who has been having this in their toolkit as a, as a, a bad actor for since 2012. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these are these are the signs of our times. Yes, they are. Well, now right. that we're all depressed and uh... <laughs> <laughs> last one that I, I want to talk about here on the security side, this one is more of like an invasion of privacy things. Oh, really pushes um, off the ledge, Don. <laughs> I know we're really going. Um, this is from Cult of Mac. They reported right. that the TSA is accused of searching phones and laptops on domestic flights. Uh, the TSA had a, a rather controversial program put in last year, where when you cross the border into the U.S., okay. uh, then they may require you to turn on and unlock your laptop or unlock your phone so that they can inspect it. And when they initially approved this, it was supposed to just be for non-U.S. citizens. Then they started doing U.S. citizens as well. And this was always at the border, right? Okay. Well, now it looks like they're being accused of doing it on domestic flights. Uh, and that I'm sorry, means... Don't we have an amendment in somewhere in the Constitution thing that we use... So it says that you have to have probable cause for a search. So, you know, we do have the constitutional protection from unreasonable search and seizure, yeah. right? It's the Fifth Amendment. Fourth. Fourth? I think so. Oh, do I have my amendments wrong? Yeah. Now, when somebody says I plead the fifth... That means that I have the right to not incriminate myself. Right, but isn't that what? Isn't that also the protection from unreasonable search and seizure, or is that separate? Maybe it's just like the logical, con, you know... Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the Fourth All right, Amendment. I might have my amendments yeah. wrong. So, uh, so either way, though, we... we we are supposed to be protected, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson and right. our, found, our founding fathers envisioned this world where we didn't have to disclose things. Um, but there was a judge not long ago who, who had done a ruling. I saw this one not long, maybe like a month ago, where they said that, um, you know, your phone's not covered by that. How but, is that? Uh, the idea was that, like, if you're arrested by the police, although here you're not being arrested, but right. if you're being arrested by the police, they're allowed to search your pockets. Right. Okay. So your um, protection for unreasonable search and seizure doesn't necessarily apply. Well, I guess there you'd be so, arrested. Well, here's so. what's interesting. So uh, say you're being arrested, right? Your phone is locked, mm-hmm. and they they search your pockets. There's your phone. They pull it out and they go unlock it. Now can I not? Let, let's just say that for some strange reason that it didn't apply to the Fourth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment would then apply and go if I do have something incriminating on there, I have a right not to give it to you. And not to incriminate myself by unlocking the phone. Yes. Right? Um, but there's been more than one case of this where a judge will find somebody in contempt of court and hold them in jail until they unlock their laptop or something. You know, that, that's happened more than once. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, I should have I should have grabbed it. There was a... So if it's not legal, they just do it anyway until you, they get what they want. Basically. Oh, well, that's the, fun stuff. There was, a, uh, there was a breaking news thing just today. I didn't have enough time to research it for the show where a company called, I think it was Gray Key. Okay. They, they started selling this box now. It's a little box. It's got two lightning cables that come out of it. And you can plug an iPhone into it. Even the latest, they showed an iPhone 10 in one of the pictures. Yeah. And uh, within two days, it will figure out what the passcode is. Whoa! And you can without wiping the phone because you normally on a on an iPhone you do a permanent lockout after a few mistries. But this one they're they're selling it to police agencies, and it costs fifteen thousand dollars, and it can unlock any iPhone. And when you say unlock, it only works on the pin locked. 
phones, or does this work with any like face recognition, fingerprint, whatever? So interesting that you mentioned that, yeah. right? Because uh, in order to protect our privacy, right? Uh, Apple and Samsung and really anybody that does fingerprint and whatever, they take your fingerprint, the points that they map, or your retinal right. scan or your facial, whatever, and they lock that away in a secure chip. It's kind of like a TPM, but gotcha. not an actual TPM. And when you reboot the phone, it doesn't unlock that data by default because they don't want an attacker to be able to get your fingerprint, right? So they lock that away and you have to provide a pin. Have you ever rebooted your phone and it oh, says yeah. you got to right. provide a pin? To... Exactly. So yeah. regardless of what level of security you have configured, gotcha. there's always a pin. And yeah. uh, what they were saying was that if it's a four-digit pin, it can pop it in about two to three hours. And if it's a six-digit pin, it takes two to three days. But regardless of which one, it does get in. Yeah. So um, I guess if you had like a, a fingerprint scanner, it would actually be easier for them because they would just grab your thumb or whatever and put it on the phone and it's unlocked. Yeah. So uh, the the idea of if you're arrested and if a warrant is issued for your phone, they, they can get into that. Yeah. So I think it really boils down to if you're not arrested. If you're not arrested, now you're just a regular citizen. Right. They can't just come and say, turn out your pockets. Right. Because right. if you're arrested, now they have probable cause because they're arresting you for... Uh, the idea that something you have done Absolutely. or been a part of. And so, you get, you uh, get Mirandized, they right. read you your rights, right. but when they just walk up to you on the street, you haven't been Mirandized. Give me your phone. <laughs> and that they're not supposed to be able to do. Yeah. So uh, it looks like you are right, Daniel. The uh, the Fourth Amendment, now we're trying to yeah, we're going from IT hey, to uh, that's U.S. Right. history. We're we are not a legal team, by the way. <laughs> the, the Fourth Amendment protects you from unreasonable search and seizure. The Fifth Amendment uh, is the one that says uh, it protects you from self-incrimination. Yeah, I paid so, attention to civics class. All right. Well, <laughs> the two work together like peanut butter Thank and you. chocolate, That's let right. me tell you. So right. uh, definitely important, uh, well, if you're in the U.S. If you're not in the yeah. U.S., uh, hopefully you have your own rules that protect you. So carry a burner phone when you travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I have a, a family member who is traveling to Russia uh, in a few months, and they asked me about that, like, how do you – how do you protect your electronics when you right. go over to another country? Um, not, not that you know anybody I know is an important government official right, or, right. or really needs to worry, but uh, but the the reality is there is no way to protect right. your devices when you cross over boundaries like that. So you're better off just uh, taking a yeah. Chromebook or a disposable phone and tossing it in the trash on your way out. You know that's that's kind of the uh, the best thing to do. All right, so um, the TSA, though, going back to our original story here, they they have been accused of uh, investigate or uh, inspecting these these phones on domestic flights, which is certainly a problem, uh, and they do it under the guise of checking for like bombs or whatever. But right. anytime they take your phone or your laptop and take it away from your vision, then that's a possible chance for somebody to do intercepted hardware. So going back to the AMD story, hmm. where Hey, if they can get a hold of the equipment and replace the BIOS or whatever, and we say, ah, oh, that's never going to happen. It happens every day in the airport. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's where we want to make sure that we don't uh, don't just totally ignore attacks like these. I'm gonna go hide underneath my pillow right now. <laughs> yeah, going off the grid. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. it. I'm a prepper now. I'm gonna start putting canned spam and. <laughs> time to go <laughs> dig up all that gold in the that's backyard. Right, that's and... right. I knew this day would come. <laughs> I kind of I kind of find that gray key. I I didn't uh, uh, I didn't want to report on it today because it just not enough information has come out on it. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be this like secret thing. Oh, here Mac Rumors. Ah, here we go. Ah. I'll pull up Mac Rumors has an article on it, so we'll 
if this is wrong, we can blame Mac Rumors. That's right. Although they can argue that website rumor. is yeah. called Rumors. Yeah. Um, I heard about this device a few days ago. They have pictures. If it's like a secret device, where do you get these pictures? But uh, but it shows it. See how it's a, it's a box. It's got the two little lightning Not cables. Not only do they have pictures, but it's like stylized, like a photographer took this shot. So <laughs> they sell this thing. I, yeah. I guess they have some marketing site somewhere. Uh, but how do you get a hold of the marketing site? That's what I want to know. <laughs> here they actually show the phone like being popped. Uh, so it's saying here, it found nice. this passcode. Uh, it has... Two minutes and fifty six seconds left in this strategy. Two days, four hours left total. Blah blah. blah. You know, so it's it's just churning through. And Man, if, if we can get our hands on that, one of those, just to borrow, so we can actually test the thing, that'd be a lot of fun. It could be. Yeah. Could be. Uh, so apparently, it's it's fifteen grand. Um, and like I said, borrow it. <laughs> it's, it's fifteen grand geofenced. In other words, it will only work at your location. Oh. And then, if you want a portable version, it's like thirty grand. Um, but. You know, what yeah. the heck is inside of this little gray box that can do these things? Well, what did what did the NSA pay, or it was the FBI that paid to get that iPhone oh, yeah. unlocked for the That's San right. Bernardino shooter? Yeah, it was it was millions yeah, of dollars, right? Of it was like yeah. a million and a half. So or something. thirty grand's a drop in the bucket. Absolutely, this is a deal. Yeah. Shoot, give me this ten of like, those things. This is like a Black Friday special. That's right. right here. This, man. Is... <laughs> this is you're not going to see this price this low again. Yeah. If you call now, I get a set against your knives. <laughs> you know, when, when I heard about the uh, the the price they paid to unlock the San Bernardino shooter's phone, that was an exorbitant amount of money, money right. that I've I've never had, right? Yeah, no. But when I heard this was fifteen grand, I'm like, I, I can probably go get a credit card or something and <laughs> you know, get a line of credit. I was like, you know, put a take it out under an assumed name, then they could just repo it. When yeah, I've cracked a few phones. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, just the money you can make the phone, cracking the phones before they repo the device, and then would pay for the device. Think of the nefarious things we could do. We could sneak people's phones away, yeah. and then just like change their wallpaper and put it back oh, on their desk. That's right. And we could, go, we could do like <laughs> we used to do back in the day, the Winnie the Pooh background. Yeah, and, My Little Pony. That's right. It'd be awesome. People are like I, I think I, I'm, my phone's infected or something. The wallpaper <laughs> keeps changing. Happening. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, expensive pranks. All right, uh, let's stop with the. With the, the yeah the pressing soul deadening yeah. security yes. news. Let's, yeah. uh, let's, let's move on to other things. things. <laughs> when I'm having to look up the Bill of Rights to discuss the article, I think we've <laughs> we've crossed a new boundary. Uh, <laughs> all right, um, funny article that I saw. All right, uh, well, hit me. Funny to me. Uh, talking about Amazon's hiring practice now. Amazon's Alexa has been kicking butt. Yes. Uh, well, except mine, which it's I've destroyed dog. now it's over here. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, it's been doing really well. Apple, who led the market with Siri, right? I mean, really, as far as voice yeah. assistance, yeah. Siri came first, and then proceeded to do literally nothing with Siri for years. Like, just, here it is. I used to tell my wife, like, why do you keep asking Siri to do stuff? She doesn't know. Yeah. Just stop asking her. So they they just didn't do anything. So Amazon yeah. came in, ate their lunch, you know, and has, has really moved past Apple on it, uh, produced all this hardware, all the Echo devices, uh, Apple comes in late to the game with the uh, the AirPod or whatever it's called. What oh, was yeah, their... yeah, yeah. See, I don't even know what theirs is called. It's it's marketed so poorly. Uh, and... It's the Google device. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can get Echo for like forty bucks, and yeah. the Apple one is three hundred dollars. Like it's just it's such a strange approach to that market. Uh, Google, who has arguably the best search results, you know. They come out and they market theirs again late to the game. So Amazon has just been kicking butt with it, and uh, and over at uh, Forbes, they basically were looking at the numbers and they said, if you look at how Amazon is hiring people, Amazon is hiring more developers for Alexa than Google is hiring 
for everything. <laughs> like literally everything. If you if you look across all their lines of business, which they list in here somewhere. So they're, they're putting some eggs in a basket when it comes to Alexa. Hey, you know, and they need to because I'll tell you, I, I can ask my Alexa something. I can say like, yeah. Alexa, who was the first man on the moon? And and it'll tell you. And say it was obviously a hoax. But then <laughs> if you do. <laughs> our, our conspiracy theorist Alexa, that would be awesome. But if you do a follow-up question, right? Like, uh, where was he from? Alexa doesn't know. Yeah. Alexa doesn't know the context like that. Google does, right? Yeah. If you do it, you can do follow-ups. Um, simple questions can fool Alexa pretty easily. Like, uh, if you ask it, um, I don't know, uh, who is Mick Jagger, right? Yeah. It'll tell you all about Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. And then if you say, what's the first song released by the Rolling Stones? It, it has no idea. It doesn't know. Like, it, it can't do complex questions. Right. Google's can. Siri sometimes can. Um, but Amazon's basically saying, look, we're going to step in and we're going to fix that. So they are bringing in a ton of people. Uh, I just thought it was funny that you take a company like Google that is pretty big. They can hire whoever they want yeah. and they can hire the best. Like they don't, they don't have to settle for, Oh, who's available. They yeah. can, they can hire people away. Um, they added up everybody they were hiring for alphabet. Uh, so that included YouTube, Waymo, Google fiber, uh, and Google itself, the search engine. And if you added it all up, it was not the amount that wow. Amazon was hiring for Alexa. So um, really, really interesting to see that. So I'm guessing their, their, their forecast for Alexa is to be the virtual assistant on a desktop, everywhere, on a phone, on everywhere you go, I can say, hey, Alexa, and it's going to give me the right answers that I need. That's, yeah. that's their projection. Well, what they're really wanting is for you to order things. And of course I, they do. I've done that. You know, I, I uh, was changing out batteries in one of the kids' toys the other day, other day and we were yeah. out of double A's. And so I, I just said, uh, I'll try and not use the keywords. I don't want to order all of our listeners' stuff. But I was just like, you know, when you, uh, order double A batteries. Right. And, and what does it respond with? It says, hey, a 16-pack of Amazon Basics batteries are a dollar amount. You know, would yeah. you like to order? Yes, yes I would. And yeah. not like... Well, we've got Duracell, and we've right. got this, and we've got that. Would you like to do a compare Amazon? and contrast? Of yeah. <laughs> so they, they suggest their own. And you could ask for a specific brand if you wanted, yeah. but otherwise they can promote their own. So it is a revenue stream for mm. them. and Because they're hurting for money. <laughs> <laughs> they are doing pretty well they're for themselves. They're doing all right, yeah. Um, yeah. Wasn't it, uh, didn't Jeff Bezos just cross into the yeah. 100 billionaire club? Yeah. What is that like? I mean, I don't know. Bill Gates I, is going, that man rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although he's not too, too he's not shy. I mean, he's, he he's does like right. 50 billion, right? Yeah. Or something. So, and he gives a lot of his money to like, like AIDS research and stuff like that. So charitable organizations, you reach a point where not that Jeff Bezos doesn't, but, uh, I, I had read an article years ago about this, that like if Bill Gates decided one day that he just wanted to spend all of his money, he really couldn't, it's impossible. He could not spend all of his money. The, the only, the, this article, I'll have to find it one of these days, but, um, it postulated that the only way he could do it was to either start a space program. Okay. Or start his own military. Uh, okay. like, those yeah. are the only yeah, two can, ways you go, can go buy a country. And you can run out of money real quick. Uh, so, <laughs> but even a country, you could do taxes, and yeah, you know. Yeah. It, but hey, we're in a deficit. <laughs> we have taxes. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> you just need to like institute a social security program, and there you go. It's all gone. Yeah. It's like Brewster's millions, but uh, Bezos edition. <laughs> 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 he could have the best, you know, campaign be awesome. ever. And <laughs> I'll make things worse. And that's a promise. <laughs> uh, All stuff. right. Well, good it stuff. definitely highlights how artificial intelligence or yeah. 
simulated intelligence is uh, uh, is definitely going to be with us for a while. Microsoft is pushing Cortana. Yeah. You've got Siri. You've got Alexa. You've got all these different uh, smart devices that are out there. I've now triggered all of our viewers' <laughs> yeah. background devices. Um, buy a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. So. Can you do that? Can you say, hey, Alexa, buy a Ferrari, and it will do it? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it you, might buy like a die cast. Like five days yeah. later, you get a Matchbox Safari. Yeah, or, or two days if you're prime. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you're prime. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to the hardware front, um, which I guess is sort of talking about hardware already. Uh, the Raspberry Pi, which Ooh. is a lot of fun. I know uh, Nate and a couple other people here in our office are, are big proponents. I have probably three of these Raspberry Pis myself that that's I use for various things. Um, Raspberry Pi 3 came out a couple of years ago. Yep. Uh, very successful platform. Do you, do you have any, Dana? I have zero pies or the other. What's the other one? Um, like a Beagle Board or? Not Beagle Board. There's another like Raspi like device. I forget who makes it. I forget the name of Arduino? it. Arduino? No, not Arduino. Mm -hmm. There's another, there's a competitor to Raspi. It's basically the same kind of idea, but I forget the name. Obviously, they're madly successful. Yeah, I it's the, the Jazz Buy 3 <laughs> Plus. It's, uh, you definitely want that one. That's right. It's from uh, <laughs> the Snaz. <laughs> The snazzy. This is for the older folks. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's right. It's got large buttons on it. <laughs> <laughs> so the Raspi, uh, of which, I don't know, I, I, we probably have one within 10 feet Shouting of us distance, right now. Yeah. Um, useful for so many things, right? You know, people create projects out of them to control Christmas tree lights. I have a emulation station set up on one of mine so you can fire up like a Nintendo emulator. Oh, yeah. And, Good old, what's, what's, that, uh, what's that called? There's a name for it. Um, where it like runs all. You can even get little boxes like pre-built... Um, Enclosure. Oh, yeah, for the RetroPie. RetroPie. Yep. RetroPie. Love that. that. I think it's awesome. I said emulation station. That's yeah. the UI, but the RetroPie is what I use. Yeah. Um, yeah. Useful for a ton of things. Yeah. And in fact, you can even build just your standard desktop off it with Raspbian. Yeah. Um, one of the limitations of the Raspbian, the original one, and Raspbian 2 was that they were fairly limited hardware, right? When Raspbian 3 came out, it, it kind of corrected that, right? That you had a uh, a better processor in it. You had more memory. You had something that was a little more reasonable for what uh, what you wanted to do, and it was $35, so it was cheap. Well, they announced on March 14th, which is Pi Day, so good good marketing timing there, they announced the Raspi 3 Model B Plus, on sale now for $35. Um, we, we are not sponsored by Raspi, just for the record. Um, but basically, they've upgraded and refreshed the hardware. So they announced a new one, which is good. It now has a 1.4 gigahertz, 64-bit quad-core ARM Cortex-A53 CPU. Oh, they're mouthful. hitting uh, the big dogs now. It's got built-in wireless, 802.11ac, so not just BGN. Yeah. Uh, it's got Bluetooth 4.2, so low-power Bluetooth, high speed. Excellent. Uh, the fast Ethernet. Now, this is one where it's got fast Ethernet, which is technically 100 megabit, right? Right. It's a gigabit Ethernet adapter, though, but it's on a USB 2.0 bus. Gotcha. So that means you can actually eke somewhere closer to like 300 megabit on it if you really pushed it. Um, they're working on a daughter board, or a, uh, they call them Pi Hats, uh, a little hat to go on it that'll actually have a, a true gigabit connection. So it's still limited, but it is faster Ethernet. Right. So if you set up something like a, a NAS using a Raspi, you would actually benefit See by an upgrading. increase, yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, the uh, oh the the add-on hat that I was mentioning, uh, they're also introducing one with power over Ethernet support. Excellent. So you can power it without having an external power supply. Uh, they're doing improved Pixie Boot for doing network boot uh, and improved thermal management. So a lot of good side stuff, uh, good stuff there. The 
200 megahertz increase in CPU. That's one where, like, if, if you're running a uh, RetroPie, yeah, right. Some of the emulators you want benefit from that, but like the PlayStation emulator, you, yeah, you'll actually see, see yep. performance improvements uh, okay. that are worthwhile. Now Nate can go sell some plasma and buy a bunch of new Raspberry Three B pluses. <laughs> I tell you, I I kind of thought I, I had heard rumors they were going to launch new hardware. I thought a Raspberry Four was going to come out with a slightly more impressive bump. Yeah, um, this is a minor refresh. This is like a stopgap. But they kept the price the same. Ooh. So, so there's like no good reason not to buy it. Well, it, if you're it, looking at Raspberry, if you were gonna buy one anyway, yeah. you go and get the new one. If you if you already have one, you're not really driven to upgrade, right? Unless you're doing something that's CPU intensive or network bandwidth intensive, then you can upgrade and you get the benefit. But it, it is only thirty five bucks, so it makes it easy. Um, they said, and I haven't tried this yet because I, I don't have mine yet, uh, that you can pop your SD card out of your old one and pop it into the new one. And, and fly. Uh, as long as you were running the updated version of Raspbian or Noobs or, or whatever, gotcha. uh, that they had already pushed out the updated drivers for this stuff months ago. And so um, if you just make sure you're updated, move your SD card over, and now you're in business. Now the real question is, is when is the Raspi 4 going to come out and... Is that going to be, you know, is this, if I if I go out today and say, hey, Alexa, give me a Raspberry 3B Plus, ship it prime, and it shows up, and then, you know, three months from now, they're like, and Raspberries are here, I'm going to want to stick a knife in my thigh. Well, <laughs> uh, if you look at them historically, right? Yeah. Um, when they do a refresh like this, it's usually at least a year before they release something okay. else. So you got a while. So you got a while. Um, Not that also, they're, like, massively expensive anyway, but. Yeah, uh, it'll also be a while before you can get them on Amazon because they always release them off of their official authorized vendors. Gotcha. They had a, just a couple of companies they resell <clears throat> through here in the U.S., so um, those will be high-demand items. It, it'll be sold out for a few months. Mm. Uh, it'll likely be three or four months before just the average person can reach out and get one when they want it, gotcha. uh, and that's when they'll start to turn up on Amazon and other places, uh, but it, it'll probably be a year. Usually they focus on trying to keep the cost down, so they may have an idea of what they want for new hardware, but they're just waiting to try and get it economical or they can set aside enough cash reserves. Yeah. And that that might be the motivation behind this refresh is let's do a refresh, encourage people to buy more. That generates cash reserves, right. and now we can use that. We can that. continue to do research and, and develop on the Raspberry 4. Yep. Awesome. Yep. It is still a great learning platform. I know I mentioned it as far as like video games and stuff, which yeah. is not uh, furthering society. But uh, <laughs> uh, if you're using them for educational purposes or whatever, big right. uh, big benefit there. Uh, and let's see, what else do I have to mention on this one? Uh, even the wireless bandwidth has increased. They, uh, did a couple of specs on here on that, uh, that with the Raspberry Pi 3B plus, you can actually get up to 102 megabits per second over the wireless, which is nice. Hello. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of things. So all in all, pretty good refresh. Oh, the yeah. improved cooling is another thing. Um, do they get hot? I mean, they... If you really pushed them. and you had it in a case, it yeah. could get a little hot. Okay. And and there were some cases that had some thermal vents or fans on them. So now they're starting to package that with it, and that that happens as things grow. So I'd uh, I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah, yeah. All right, what else do we have? What's um, on deck? Let's we'll switch over to Microsoft for a little bit. Okay. Uh, have we talked about Microsoft yet? I don't think so. It's time not, to not not like <laughs> specifically anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Microsoft, um, this is from itworld.com, uh, although uh, it actually came ultimately from the Microsoft blog. But uh, Microsoft has announced a kill date for OWA apps on iOS and Android, OWA being Outlook Web Access. So oh. 
What does that mean to it us? It means there's going to be a lot of very angry users out there that are going because I'll tell you what I've noticed as my time in in corporate America, there were there were two camps. There were people that loved the Outlook client, and there were people that loved OWA, and never the twain should mix. And if they couldn't get access to the OWA, man, it was the pitchforks and the torches came out. Uh, so I would assume people that have their hooks deep into OWA are not going to like this. So I assume the same. Yeah. But then when I started reading about it, it turns out that they've seen the um, the user numbers decline so much for mobile OWA. Is that because of Office 365? Or? I think it's because the Outlook client for mobile, it's actually gotten really, really good, especially once they bought Sunrise Calendar and brought that in to, yeah. to serve as a calendar piece. Uh, it's gotten really good. Um, I used to get frustrated with the Outlook client on, on Android, and I would, I would fire up Chrome, and I would just go to the OWA page because... It was fully mobile yeah. enabled, and so you could go in there and, and use it, and it was better than the, the other client. Although you didn't get notifications of new email because it was in your web browser. Right. Well, uh, it was probably two years ago that uh, when they acquired Sunrise Calendar, they baked that in, they did a few other things. The Outlook client got pretty darn useful. And so now on my, on my Android phone, on my iOS tablet, I use that Outlook mobile uh, application, and it, it works really well. Mm. I use OWA on my desktop every single day, but on mobile, I use those clients. They're, they're, they're pretty reliable for me. So apparently that experience has been the same with a lot of people. I, I like how it's a Microsoft product that killed another Microsoft product. It's Hey, like, you got to get your wins young, where you right? can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. I, I've been frustrated with mobile mail clients in general. Like yeah. they, they always are missing like one feature, something right. doesn't work or right. Or it does something like poorly. That you're mm. like, oh, that's like the thing I need for yeah. you to do well, and you, and you suck at it. So back to the back to the desktop I go. Yeah, the uh, the Gmail client it, it only works well if you have Gmail, right. and even then it can be a little flaky sometimes. Uh, the Outlook client works great, but I've noticed if you add any third party email service like like Gmail to it, uh, it doesn't support aliases. So you can only send under one address, which is super frustrating. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's always like some little thing that's wrong. Uh, but for me, as long as I can send and receive email and I have a decent search functionality, yeah, then it's good enough. You can't beat Gmail for the search functionality. No, they're good. They're good. I like the way they operate, man. But what are you gonna do? What do you? Uh, <laughs> now you have an Android phone. I do. Um, are you using what? What <laughs> mail client so are you using? Mail clients. Oh. It's not even funny. Because you know how it is, man. You get like, I've got a Gmail account. I've got a Yahoo account. I've got IT Pro account. So that's on Outlook. I use the Outlook client for that because uh, we have Office 365 subscriptions. So I'm bouncing around all over the place. Um, I want to say, is there like the the native Android email client? Mm -hmm. I think I use that yeah. as well for another. I have two Gmail accounts. You know, I don't know why so. it never occurred to me, and I, I'll admit this here. Um, <clears throat> To just use more than one mail client. I, I, <laughs> I, I've always said, I'm going to find this one client that will do everything I want. I want it all in one place. Uh, it never occurred to me, like, I can just run two. Yeah, I, and you know, you know what? The, the reason that I kind of got into that model was I, start, I started off in Hotmail. It was like my first web mail client. And then it got like, it became spam mail, really. It was mm -hmm. nothing but spam. So I, I kind of ditched that. I went to Yahoo. And Yahoo was great for a while. And then it kind of did the same thing. And I was having trouble with it, but I had too many hooks kind of into it. So I made it almost like my own personal mailinator where I didn't care what I signed up for, or what email got to it or what spam happened. I would sign up for things and I would always use Yahoo for that stuff. 
And then I made a Gmail account for like my personal, I want to contact people. Then I made a Gmail business account. And then I came here and I got an email address from you guys. Of course, I had one back when I was in insurance and mm -hmm. from there. So I just, I've always lived in that world of juggling different email clients. You know, Daniel mentioned Mailinator. If you're not familiar with that, it's a really neat service. Let me pull it up here. Um, what they do is they basically have unauthenticated mailboxes. So if you want to sign up for a service, you come in here and you just, you make up an address, right? And so, you know, if you want it to be bob at mailinator.com. Right. Okay. Well, you just type bob and hit go, and it's going to log you into the bob at mailinator.com mailbox. There's no authentication. Right. So you notice there's mail in there. Yeah, other people <laughs> have used this one. So if you're going to sign up for some kind of service that requires spam or junk mail or whatever, you sign up using this account. And there's no privacy, so you certainly right. wouldn't want to sign up for your banking account or whatever. Th this is how I get like, you ever you ever go to those links that says, uh, click here to get the free ebook on cloud technology or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that ebook actually looks pretty good. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind looking at it. And they're like, fill out this form. And you have to put an email address so they can start like marketing to you. Well, guess what? <laughs> Bob at Mailinator gets hit pretty hard doing yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, for a, a while, there were several uh, several companies were starting to block Mailinator addresses, yeah, right? Yeah, I've seen that. So Mailinator got slick, and uh, they now have, let me see if I can, oh, you know what? They, they don't like list them all in domains, one place. Right? Yeah. They have a bunch of domains. Yeah. They have uh, they have some 60 domains or something, and they, they won't show you the whole list, right? Right. So see here, I scroll down, it says hundreds of domains to point to, here's, here's one, one now. Yeah. But they won't tell you the whole one, and it says, we're sorry, we don't give out the whole list. Because that would be silly, right? right? You can blacklist this. It actually said, let me zoom out. It actually says, that, that would, would be silly. silly. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. So um, if you sit here and just kind of like refresh this page, uh, you know, it said Mailinator 2 that time. Now it's not Mailinator.com. <laughs> and you just, you can refresh over and over and find all these different ones. And that kind of helps you these get These people are there. saints. They, they are providing a service, man. They really are. necessary in today's society. <laughs> all right. Well, getting back on topic, I do want to mention one more thing about OWA. Microsoft is not killing off OWA. So let's oh, okay. just set that. It says May. Do they mean capital M means May as in the month, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, okay. in May. In, in, right. in two months, they will be killing off OWA apps on iOS and Android. So OWA will still work, right? Okay. So the, the actual Outlook web access will still work. They're just going to stop developing. Right? And even if you fire up a mobile client and go to OWA, it will still work. This is the OWA app that's actually published in the Google Play Store and in the iOS App Store. Those are being killed off. Now, that means that likely one day, hmm. the web-based version of it will probably die as well, but not the one for desktops. They will always keep that one around. Uh, it works great on desktops and tablets. That one's going to stick around. So OWA is not dead, just these mobile applications. And they, they just want you to switch over to Outlook. Yeah. It's, it's come a long way. All right. We have our marching orders. Outlook it is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, another interesting one. Um, over at windowscentral.com, they had a great article that had a really interesting comment about the Windows Insider program. And it, the title makes it sound negative. The headline is, Why You Should Opt Out of the Windows Insider Program After the Spring Creators Update Releases. All right. Sounds negative. It but does sound negative. They have a really good point. Uh, Daniel, are you in the Windows Insider program? Man, I ain't use Windows, and I couldn't tell you when. So <laughs> the answer to that is no. <laughs> All right. Well, I am a uh, operating system polygamist. You are. And, you uh, are. <laughs> and so I have uh, Mac machines, Linux machines, Windows machines, and 
on my Windows machine at home, I'm in the Windows Insider program. And this is basically like a, a type of beta testing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And depending on how aggressive you want, you can opt into the Insider rings that you're getting like alpha grade software. Ah. Uh, but it's how I learn about what's coming down the road. Right. Right. And Microsoft has made this free. Anybody can join the Insider program. You participate and you start getting these cutting edge updates, right? But if you want to get out, they tell you, yeah, you can get out whenever you want. Whenever yeah. you want, you can get out. Or is it like the mafia? <laughs> Once you're out, you're never really, you're never really out. You can't get out. So I, uh, I kind of equate it to like prison tattoos, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so you go into prison. You get a couple of stars on your knees and elbows. And, and hey, you can get some prison tattoos. Yeah. But when you get out of prison, you still have the tattoos, That's right? So, so when you go into the, uh, uh, into the insider program, if you decide to opt out, they can't. They can't uninstall the updates that you've taken. You've got them. You're stuck. Yeah, they're there. Right? And they're going to continue to release updates. You're just not getting the new updates. Right. Which means if you had a problem and they fix it, now you're not getting the fix. Right? And so what you have to do is you have to wait. Wait until that time when the insider program matches the production release cycle. And that only happens like twice a year. Right? This is like a solar eclipse. And... One of those times is about to come up, right? <laughs> the Spring Creators update has been announced for April. Do not stare directly <laughs> at the Spring Creators update, though, because it can make you go blind. <laughs> yeah. It's been announced for April, which is next month. I don't know the exact date, and I'm not sure that they mention it in here, but it, it'll come out soon. And as soon as that Spring Creators update comes out, we're going to be in one of those windows mm. where the insider program will be at feature parity with the production program, or actually it's the other way around, right? Production right. will be at feature parity with the insider program. So when the spring creators update comes out, if you want to opt out of the insider program, that's when you do it. Yeah. If you don't, it'll be another six months, right? So in the meantime, if you want to get out early, you got to format your system and reinstall. You got to reinstall windows and now you're out of the insider program Here's one chance where you can do it without reinstalling. So um, what a great public service announcement. I really appreciate the people over at Windows Central doing that uh, because even, even for me, where I'm, I'm in the Insider program, I had forgotten about that, that, you know, hey, if I want to get out, I, I could format. Yeah. But oh, there, there is this little window of time every so often where we don't have to do it. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I don't know. You've got me thinking of, like, what if the world had crazy prison tattoos now? And I'm thinking, like, I want a frog riding a grizzly bear with rainbow lasers coming out of his eyes or something. All right. And that means that I was an armed robber or something. Yeah. You know, we should come what up. What if we had absurd tattoos for prison tattoos? We should come up with an IT tattoo code, that would be awesome. you know? Because it, like the, with the, the Russian prison tattoos, right. we have the cathedral and it's got three spires. It means you did three different prison terms. Right. And so, you know, so we, we can have, have like little Windows logos coming down off the eye like a tear. If you have <laughs> if you have the Microsoft Bob logo, it means uh, like you've uh, I want Clippy. Yeah, you know, just Clippy. If you have Clippy, it means yeah. that you've cannibalized another human being. <laughs> it, it, you know, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, we can actually make it like usable though. Where it's like, I mean, Don cannibalizes other people, but <laughs> all right, that's it. So the next time one of you guys sees me at a conference, He's I'm gonna have full clippy. sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Send in, send in your suggestions. Tweet us the Don and Dan at IT Pro. That'll be fun uh, uh, to have the suggestions, and we'll 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 art it up. We'll get the the uh, creative team at that. Do you? Uh, we need to find a tattoo artist who's actually talented, not like yeah, you know, the ones here in town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I know a guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, for straight up, yeah. Uh, yeah, do some amazing art. We're about to make the jump from uh, planning yeah. to production Look at that here. Neck tattoo. <laughs> <coming out> here. <laughs> 
why is Don got like <laughs> face tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> <All> clippy. <laughs> the Mike Tyson. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, anyhow, not saying you should get out of the insider program, but if maybe things got a little too unstable for you or you've had your your due with it, it's the one chance. Not one chance. It's yeah. one of the two chances a year that yeah. you get to be able to stop being in the insider program without formatting your machine. All right. Uh, next. This was an interesting article because it, it kind of shocked me. Um, there <laughs> yeah. is a new Microsoft Edge beta for iOS. It adds support for iPad. And this was this was interesting. The, the reason I found this interesting, I'm sure Don found this interesting uh, for the same reason, is because... Who's using Edge on iPads? Yeah, you know? I, the interesting. <laughs> I don't thing use here, Edge on Windows, let alone iPads. I <laughs> totally missed the news announcement that Edge even came out on iOS, but it did. <laughs> and uh, apparently, when it did, it did not have iPhone 10 support. So you know, like the there notched was their view, big gaffe right there. Oh, yeah, you got that notch. It's <laughs> getting in the way. The <laughs> um, and then uh, it also did not have iPad support, so pretty limited. Uh, you know, basically iPhone 8 and earlier. And all five people sighed. <laughs> and, yeah, and I was a little confused because I know on, on iOS, Apple requires that if you make a web browser on iOS, it has to use their render engine, the same render engine that Safari uses. So you can't even use your own rendering engine. You've got to use the Safari one. So you're basically running Safari with your browser's trim stuck on it. So th uh, this is the... This is the redneck in his garage. He goes, "Man, I love a Ferrari, but they expensive. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take this old Yugo and slap some cardboard and metal on the side and call it Ferrari, basically." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's all the bells and whistles that you get, like with uh, Google Chrome, right. you get bookmark sync and the password synchronization, that kind of stuff, right? right. You can see the tabs that are open on other browsers that are uh, logged in as you. Right. But the rendering of the pages is actually being done with that Safari engine. Um, I don't know if Apple's going to change that anytime soon, but with Microsoft Edge, they must be doing the same thing. So to not have iPad support or iPhone 10 support, they just didn't bother to update their frame, yeah. I guess. I, yeah, I don't know the I don't know the details behind that, but uh, if you were really angry that you couldn't run Edge on your iPhone 10 or iPad, hey. Be angry no more. That's the people right. over at NeoWin have uh, reported that that beta is coming out. Uh, it's in alpha right now. It's coming into the beta program either today or tomorrow. So uh, so that update is coming out. Uh, and then it'll reach production in probably another month or so. Uh, I'm sure I'll have to go through Apple's approval process. Yeah. And who knows what will happen there. But, uh, you know, Prayers all of answer. your yeah. Microsoft Edge browsing dreams will come true. <laughs> Angels will descend. Holding one long note. It'll be amazing. Yep. yep. <laughs> I've... Uh, Sold my soul to Google, and I've been using Chrome on everything for years now. I've 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 been a Firefox user for since probably like 2004, uh, for the most part. I I use Chrome. I have Chrome, but especially with the new Firefox update. You know, I, I was going to ask you because I I got frustrated with Firefox because it was getting too bloated. Yeah. But with this, uh, what's it version 59? though? is it yeah. Quantum? Quantum. Yeah. That they're saying it's ridiculously awesome. It is be is beating Chrome. Yeah. In performance, yeah, it is snappy, it's snazzy. It's still like new enough that there's still some hiccups because of like plugins and things of that nature still not being. But of course, that's not Chrome's fault. That's mm -hmm. that's the third party that has to develop for uh, Quantum. But once that all gets up to speed, and a lot of my third party uh, plugins have, and my browsing experience is a whole lot new. It, does it does it still take like a terabyte of memory per no, tab? No, it does not. As a matter of fact, <laughs> uh, it, it is much more streamlined and, and efficient. And do you use like Grease Monkey scripts at all, or no, no, no? I, just because I have, I don't really need them. 
I'm, so, I'm pretty, I'm a minimalist at heart. So for a few years, Firefox was like the de facto browser for developers because you yeah. could do grease monkey scripts and other things to, to completely customize what was being shown on web pages. And it was awesome. And then Firefox killed that off. Yeah. And when they were doing the plugin switch and they just shut down. So uh, I moved away from Firefox when that happened. And for all I know, they could have completely brought that functionality back in. Yeah, I haven't tried. Uh, it shows, it shows how, uh, as an organization, when you lose a customer, it's kind of hard to bring them back again. Yeah, yeah. Not, not that I ever paid them anything, though, so I'm sure it's hurting their feelings. What is, what is, what is the cost of reacquisition? Yeah. Probably a whole lot more than acquisition, right? Uh, as long as you follow the <clears throat> rules of acquisition. That's right. Then, uh... That's right. Employees <laughs> are like the rungs of a ladder. Don't be afraid to step on them on your way to the top. That's right. <laughs> treat your friends like... Oh, no. Treat, what is it? Family, treat your like employees, uh, employees like family. Exploit them. Yeah, exploit uh, <laughs> them. <laughs> the Ferengi rules of acquisition. That's uh, Good business, stuff. Good business stuff. knowledge for the masses. <laughs> All right, we are winding things down here. We've got uh, one more article, and then we'll get to our, our funny one for the week. Right. Um, this one I thought was just really interesting. Not so much news as it was just a really interesting factoid that I came across. Um, Ars Technica had a special piece this week on what's involved in the source code development of Windows. So um, over at Microsoft, they have been migrating all of their source code base into Git repositories. Hmm. So Git, which was you know, developed thanks to Linus Torvalds, came out of the Linux community, uh, has become the de facto standard way of managing code and revisions and forks and all of that. Uh, and so what Microsoft found was that anytime they hired a developer, the developers already knew how to use Git. Yeah. And the developers they had wanted to use Git, so they started moving over to it. Problem is, they had said more than once that Git wasn't designed for the amount of code they had. And people were saying, well, wait a minute. I mean, look at GitHub. GitHub yeah. has tons of code. Are you saying you have more code than GitHub? Well, it turns out they might. Um, <laughs> so Windows, uh, according to Ars Technica, has uh, over 4 million commits Jeez. and over 10 million work items. That is a lot. And that's not even including the, the code, right? I mean, right, this right. Is committed changes and work items or to-do items that are still outstanding. Um that's a heck of a lot. That's a lot. That is a lot of stuff. So when Microsoft started moving away from their Visual Studio uh, vault and moving it into Git, they started running into problems because they have repositories that are, or their repository is 300 gigabytes in size with 3.5 million files. Okay. It's a lot. And, and Git so wasn't designed it's to scale Scariest environment imaginable. That's yeah, all that's all you have to say. <laughs> So fortunately, Microsoft isn't just saying like, ah, screw it, Git can't do this. Yeah. Uh, they're saying, hey, let's dedicate some resources and make it work and do that. Hmm. And so they've been doing that. Microsoft has actually been improving upon Git and, and releasing to the open source community. They've been uh, upstreaming the, the code changes uh, and pushing it out, making it better, making it able to scale. And so it has just been growing and growing. Uh, and it's interesting because Microsoft actually has the Visual Studio Team Services, their own product that is uh, able to store a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a, a part of it, I can't remember the name of it, it's like the Visual Studio Vault, or it's, it's got some hmm. names, it's got Vault in it. Um, so they're, they're still using the, the team services to be able to communicate, but the code itself is actually being stored in yeah. a Git repository. Wow. Not not in GitHub, let me right. clarify, it's not in some public repository. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a private Git repository that they've got, uh, and it's being put in there. Uh, the numbers that we were throwing out just a moment ago, those were for the fall creators update. Uh, so 4 million commits, 
just in the fall creators update alone. That shows you the scale when they develop software like that. They have so many developers making so many changes. That's where you start to see an operating system become less agile, less able to change with the times. Yeah. And uh, especially when it's closed source, mistakes can make it through. Uh, you know, they're operating at a massive scale. It also kind of tells you the, the level of trust that they have for Git to be able to secure that code and keep it on lockdown. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And I'm sure that yeah. would be a honeypot for any budding young hacker out there that wanted to make his bones, right? And uh, get, get a hold of inside of that. And yeah. outsourcing that to Git and letting them have that, that's... That's a big, that's a big feather in their cap, in my opinion. Yeah, it's all part of, of what we've seen with Satya Nadella, Satya Nadella, where he has embraced open source, and yeah, some people are starting to worry, like I'm getting a little too cozy. What's <laughs> going on here? Like you know, and, and and I have my personal theory that I think we're going to see a Microsoft Linux in the next year, yeah. uh, and ultimately see Windows Server go away in the next couple of years, be replaced by Linux. Um, I this is just kind of more moving in that path, so. Uh, interesting to see it, and uh, just cool statistics that yeah. we don't normally get. A little bit of insight into what's going on in that closed, uh, walled garden of Microsoft. That's right. All right, Daniel. Well, it is time for our final article of the day, which is, I, I always try and find the most bizarre article I can. I like how this one's in our backyard. This one, uh, <laughs> you know, is what, like an hour and a half away if we were to hop in the car right so, now? Uh, my brother lives in Davenport, by the way. Oh. My, my brother-in-law. My brother well, there we go. So. Does he work for the... Uh, uh, Department of Citrus? He does not. He's a professional <laughs> juggler. <laughs> Very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. One, six of one, half a dozen of the other. All right. This one's from the Tampa Bay Times, and the headline is, Department of Citrus Employee Arrested When Caught Mining for Cryptocurrency, Agents Say. <laughs> Agents Say. <laughs> yeah, why they needed that last part? I don't know. But um, this was an interesting one. And look, Let's just extrapolate here from the headline alone, what we can think of, right? Because I'll tell you, my first impression was... There's a Department of Citrus? Uh, <laughs> actually, I did know that. Uh, yeah, well, we know that for... Oh, from Florida. From, yeah. yeah. If you're not from Florida, yeah. maybe you don't know, but exactly. apparently we have a thing for oranges. Yeah, it's a little bit. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I thought, all right, here's some employee who said, hey, look at all these computers sitting around here, and at night they're doing nothing, so I'm going to install some Bitcoin miners... And I'm going to generate some Bitcoin at night while nobody's using the it's computer. It's a victimless crime, Don. Uh, you know, innocent. That's who, right. Who gets hurt? No one. Zero no. people, right? Right. So uh, giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. But when you start adding on the details to this is where it starts to turn into our goofy article yeah. of the uh, of the, the week. Um, first off, l let's just assume what we just said a moment ago was, was on the up and up, right? Uh, it's actually not a victimless crime. because. That's true. Bitcoin mining ramps up your CPU and ramps up your power consumption. And that was how they found out this was happening, was their power bill had gone up over $800 a month more than normal for three months in a row. So they were seeing this huge power draw going on. Yeah. That's your, that's that's your crime, yeah, right? Yeah, right there. You're, you're stealing from the company by going... This is not my electricity that, that, is, that is being paid for. I'm using your electricity. Plus, if I'm not mistaken, I read the article, he also used the company card or the, the card that is given for him to make purchases to purchase high-end GPUs yeah. so that he could be more efficient. You know, see, he, in his mind, he's justifying, going, I'm trying to be better at this so that the electricity bill stays down. So what's $22,000 between friends or whatever it was that he well, spent see, on GPUs? And that's where this turns criminal is that yeah. – you know, he was buying computers. He was the IT manager. So this isn't just some regular employee, right. like a janitor or whatever. This is the IT manager. Right. Was the was. IT manager. 
And so when he would buy a new computer for somebody, which might be for a legitimate purpose, right? This person needs a, a system. Right. He would get the highest end GPU he could as part of the build for that. And that's a waste of company resources, or in this case, state resources, which means taxpayer taxpayers. dollars yep. uh, being wasted. Um, and then the only purpose of that GPU was to support the cryptocurrency mining. And while that might be more efficient, the efficiency doesn't show in power consumption. The efficiency shows in how many teraflops of, yeah, yeah, how many folds it can do. And mm -hmm. uh, that really you know, just helps to generate more Bitcoin. Uh, he was generating, it was two coins. I think it was like Litecoin and Maneo or something. Uh, um, I thought it said Bitcoin. Oh, and Litecoin. Bitcoin and Litecoin. Yeah. Yep. Which, uh, you know, Litecoin hasn't gotten a lot of press lately, but apparently good enough for him. I actually read the comments on, on this. Because it's always fun to dive into the comm boxes and mm -hmm. see what people are saying. And a lot of them were saying that it probably wasn't Bitcoin that he was mining just because, like, the what he had set up, it would have been... I, he could have been just an idiot. That, that is <laughs> highly probable. And if he's, I, I don't want to like completely, if you've ever been to Davenport, uh, it's in Polk County and Polk County has got some nice things, but it's also filled with a bunch of rednecks. Uh, so he might've been like, Hey man, I want to get on this Bitcoin business. You know, and it'd be a lot of fun. But they were saying that um, it was unlikely that he was mining Bitcoin just because his rig, even with what he had would not have been sufficient to make it, um, Viable, economically viable to do. You know, so um, I, I actually, I got curious about this myself um, oh, probably eight months ago. Yeah. Where you would hear people say, like, uh, it's no longer efficient right. to mine Bitcoin. They would say, like, you know, no matter what your rig was, right. your electrical cost would exceed the value of the Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin's value has gone up recently, and so right. maybe that's and changed. Plus, he wasn't paying for the electricity here, so anything he got was total profit. Yeah. So I, uh, I decided to test that out. And uh, so I set up, um, and I, I just use kind of ballpark numbers on this, and I set up my computer at home where I've got a, um, what do I have in my computer? It's like a uh, NVIDIA GTX 1050, I think, 1050, yeah. 1050 Ti, something like that, which is not, not the highest end, right. but it's a decent video card. Um, and so I set it to uh, mining Bitcoin. And I let it do it for 24 hours, and I recorded all the numbers. And then I worked it out to, to find out for myself. Like, right. is it worthwhile? Does it make sense? And, and it wasn't. And mm. uh, there was actually a website. I wonder if I can find it. Um, uh, where they would actually show you, like, whether it, would, uh, whether it would be worth it for you to mine Bitcoin. It would do the calculation for it uh, to tell you. And oh, that's not it. Somewhere there is a site that does it. But either way, uh, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people right. hear, wait, I can just run some program and it makes money <laughs> and it's not illegal. It's not like uh, uh, counterfeiting money. Yeah. All right, I'm going to run that program. Yeah. And they don't even know about the electric cost. It's like people that buy um, electric cars yeah. and don't realize that your How electric bill is going to go up. How much coal you burn to, to make the electricity wow. Not even thinking the about car. the coal, though. Like, or, or even the, the manufacturing process into creating the car Yeah. itself. It's kind of... But if you get a Tesla... Yeah. You don't have a gas bill anymore. No, you don't. Right? So you, you have to stop buying gas, right. which is good. You, you save money. But you are plugging into the wall. And your electric bill goes up. And yeah. honestly, I, I know we like to think everybody's intelligent, but right. some people just don't think stuff through. Right. And and then they're shocked when their electric bill, uh, no, no pun intended, uh, they're shocked <laughs> when their electric bill is twice as high as it was the month before, or even a third as high as the month before. Yeah. But it goes up. That's the point. Obviously. And so uh, it, maybe that happened. And I, I think about some of the old programs. The uh, 
the first exposure I had to something like this was a long time ago. Uh, there was a, uh, a project called distributed.net. I've got their webpage pulled up here. Uh, distributed.net launched a million years ago. Uh, I was exposed to it probably in like 1995, hmm. where they wanted to prove that RC4 could be broken. And uh, RC4, yeah, which is an maybe. older cipher, yeah. um, but they needed computing power to do it. And so they created this agent that you can install on your computer. And in your computer's idle time, it would try and break this RC4 it hash. reminds me of a SETI at home. And Right? You know what, Daniel? I've yeah. got that tab oh, open right man. here. Because then minds. SETI at home, there it is. When, when distributed.net open sourced their clients, SETI at home picked it up and said, right. let's use the CPU cycles of your computer to help us locate alien communications in the background noise of the, the space. Stuff. When I worked at uh, <laughs> our local hospital here, the, the mm -hmm. attached with UF, um, there were guys that had SETI at home installed on their workstations. Yeah. Are they stealing? Was that stealing? It was stealing. Technically, it was stealing, But nobody right? thought of it that way back right. then. Like, right. you know, I'll just throw it well, on because there you and... weren't getting cryptocurrency for using those those CPU cycles. Well, and, and computers didn't have kilowatt power supplies either. That's true. You know, like That's back true. then, you, you were lucky if you had a 200-watt power supply. Yeah. So you could only draw so much power That's anyway. True. And if you had a... 486 DX266 <laughs> processor, like how much power were you going to draw? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but in this day and age, where the processors have to have heat sinks the size of your head <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and all that, it, it draws a lot of power. So these little honest programs that, that aren't, you know, they're not trying to... Uh, rip you off or jack your electricity through the roof. If you're running it on company computers, though, you are running up the electric bill. You are effectively stealing or... At a minimum, you're misappropriating company resources. Yeah. This guy, where he really crossed the line, where I, I kind of <laughs> I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt right up until the part where it said he spent about twenty four thousand dollars buying high end GPUs. Yeah. Um, that's where I hear twenty four graphic processing units. Um, once I saw that line, I was like, yeah. oh, that that's criminal yeah, intent right that, there. Now yeah. it's now it's time to put you under the prison. Yes, that bad and. The sad part is, I mean, he couldn't have generated that much currency if he had 24 computers. Right, that's the thing, right? He didn't have enough oomph. Yeah. And again, maybe he was just an idiot, didn't realize that. Or maybe he was only like halfway through the, like his intention was to really ramp up a farm. <laughs> Spend another twenty four, forty, fifty thousand dollars and and like work his way up to. And maybe he was trying to do it in small increments so he wouldn't get caught. Maybe. That, that's my guess. But... I, I don't know. Could he have been generating even one Bitcoin a month if he had 24 high-end right? GPUs? I, it's tough yeah. to say on that one. But, yep. So a uh, couple of interesting words of caution there, right? One, remember your company computers and electricity yours. and network yeah. are not yours. Uh, secondly, it's not really worth it to mine Bitcoin unless you actually do have a professional farm set up. Right. And even then, is it is it every six months or once a year where they double the difficulty? Right. So if you buy all of that hardware it's going to dep depreciate faster than any other computer hardware because of that artificial limit that's put in with Bitcoin. Um, it's just not worth it to do. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to invest in Bitcoin at this point, you're better off doing the buy low, sell high type thing. Yeah. But in my opinion, ransomware. you're better off <laughs> not messing with it at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Any cryptocurrency is based on absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, you could but, argue that the U.S. dollar is based on nothing, but it's actually it's based on... System, right? 
It's based on a promise by the U.S. government, which is, <laughs> is a promise. Uh, is at least a promise, hey, right? We got your back, right? Bitcoin <laughs> is based on literally nothing. Not like not even a promise. Who like, made the damn thing? Yeah, we don't, we don't even, even know. promise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you don't even have that. That's funny. By the way, if Don sends you guys an email saying, "Hey, click on this link," don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do take donations by Bitcoin. He does. He does. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> God, what would I do if somebody gave me Bitcoin? I. You just turn around and sell yeah. it, I guess. You, it. Yeah, I was saying, I was like, can I take it to the bank and go, I'd like to change in my yeah. one Bitcoin? <laughs> you can hold on to it and wait for it to go up in value. Yeah. Yeah. And All right. Go well. back down and then go up and go down. And then you want to, like, I can't ride this ride anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're worth so much. What are they worth today? It's, uh, I don't know. I think it was like, what's like seven grand or something like that? Uh, who knows? They it just fluctuates so much. Uh, Eight thousand five hundred dollars. Okay, I mean, you know, they were well over ten grand just a few weeks ago. And they were like it, fifteen grand about yeah, a month ago. Yeah, it's, maybe uh, not even. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, but now that's that's cut in half. You know, crazy. I, I can't ride that crazy. rail, man. I, that bull and me ain't gonna get down. I'm sorry. All right. Well. <laughs> Um, I think that's all I've got for that's today. Uh, Daniel, you got anything else you want to chuck in that's here? That's all I can think of. You've exhausted my reserves. I did think of one thing. Uh, if you've made it this far into the podcast, then obviously you don't hate us, uh, or you just can't reach the stop button. Uh, so if you're oh, one of those people, <laughs> and you happen to be in the Orlando, Florida area, oh, Monday, nice. Tuesday, or Wednesday of next week, uh, which is March oh, 19th, man, something I probably should have known. 20th and 21st, I think. Thank you. March 19th, 20th, 21st. Uh, Daniel and I both will be at the InfoSec Security Conference right. in Orlando, uh, which uh, should be a blast. I think it'll be um, We're going to be there doing interviews, talking to people on the floor. We'll have a little stage set up. Uh, come on by, visit us. Um, we'll probably film a podcast from there because oh, that'll be fun. why not? We're there. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get a chance to run into the team from Paul Security Weekly, a couple of other people, uh, uh, friends of IT Pro TV that we've encountered over the years. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun, as well as finding out some of the latest and greatest things going on in the security industry. A lot of fun. So be sure to check us out over there. If you can't make it, we understand. Uh, but stay tuned for the podcast next week because we'll actually have content and, and footage from there. We'll actually probably film enough interviews that we'll spread it over a couple of weeks oh, be- uh, of the podcast. So that'll all be coming up in the, uh, in the following days to come. Yep. So I just I got totally distracted, Daniel, because there is a duck outside of the window there for some reason. So, uh, so Daniel and I have some dinner plans <laughs> that are playing an egg right now. <laughs> Perfect. So uh... <laughs> dinner plan. breakfast and dinner. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I do hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Daniel, thank you for joining and standing in for Peter. I know the uh, allergies have hit you pretty hard, but uh, we both, we made it through the podcast. Neither of us sneezed, which is uh, amazing. amazing. I did have like severe eye pressure. I felt like it was going to pop out of my head, which would spike our viewership. Man, I would have paid big money for that. Uh, Maybe next time. time. (laughs) (laughs) We keep hoping. That's right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, hope you guys enjoyed it. Be sure to check back with us next week. Like I said, IT Pro TV podcast coming at you from InfoSec in Orlando, Florida, 2018. Be there or be square. And as always, stay safe on the internet and, hey, get to uh, folding some Bitcoin. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for watching, everybody. 